This episode is brought to you by locumstory.com. Backdrop. 2012, finishing my fellowship in Miami, and no decision bigger than where and how I was going to start working on my own. And there it was, the fork in the road. Being employed versus something I had never heard of before, locum tenants. So I decided to go the locums route, and I had a ton of questions then. I stumbled a bit, but eventually I was able to stand on my own, and I have been working locums over the past 10 years. Now, what about you? If you're considering locums, you probably have hella questions just like I did. Like, who covers my malpractice? Do I really have control over how often I work? And what are the tax implications? Now, lucky for you, locumstory.com has the answers you need. It's packed with unbiased information and advice from docs just like you. And there's nothing to sell here. It's just a simple resource for information, like finding out what's the average pay rate for your specialty. There's even a quiz to see if locums is right for you. So listen, take my advice. Locumstory.com is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about locums. That's locumstory.com. So, Dr. Renee, you are looking tired as hell. Diet. How you doing? Diet. So, everyone, Renee is post-call, truly post-call. Yeah, just you just finished. Off. Yeah, you just been doing night shift. Yep, I work one week in a month. One weekend, you said, right? One week in a month. I ain't, I ain't got no qualms about that. I work one week in a month, three twelves, and um, yeah, I'm post-call. Just drove about two and a half hours. Back home after getting off at about 8-ish. Actually, I signed out at 8. But then, uh, yeah. So so the, the reason I bring that up is because the majority of your colleagues who are working there, when they're working full-time, they're doing some type of 12-hour shift, right? They don't no, do 12, no, 24 No, they're doing 24. 24s. Yeah. But, you know, as I said before, 24s, I'm trying to make sure that I don't do a 24-hour shift anymore in my life. Welcome to the club. Yeah, Welcome to the party. It's, it's stressful, right? And the decisions that you're making at hour 21, 23, is that as good as the decisions that you're making? On hour 11. Or even hour five, right? right? And even hour 11, that's a long time still. It is. It is. It definitely is. And I find myself, it's so funny at sign out today. <laughs> I was like trying to say the temperature of a patient. I was like, yeah, her temp was 109. I'm like, oh my yeah, God. Yeah, because like, your eyes are probably closed on? and you're sleeping and so I'm forth. Like, Am I having a stroke? Yeah. <laughs> She's got a temperature of 100.9. So um, yeah, even, even with the 12 hour shift. Um, you know, and it's not so much being up 12 hours, but it's also all of the decision making that you have to make within that time. Yeah. But then the hard part is, is the rinse, wash and repeat. Like right. you go home, right. you don't, you're home for maybe 12 hours or you're yeah. home for however long. Are you really recovering during that time? And yeah. Then you I don't sleep well. Wash and you re- repeat this behavior over yeah. five years, 10 years, sometimes even 20 or even longer. Mm-hmm. It's a really tough way to live. Um, we all, if we don't, um, if we're not cognizant of it, that's the the path in which we're heading. Um, yeah. So, you know, for me, when we first started off, it was all about trying to pay off debt. We were trying to save as much money as possible, stack cash in our accounts, put some money in the, in the stock market. Work, work, work. And then that was it. But I think after a while, we started to realize like, yo, if we continue like this, it's going to be a hard next 10, 20, <laughs> 30 years to get the type of money, the type of freedom, the type of wealth that we want to get. How do we figure out a way to be smarter about this? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, on this episode, we got Dr. Parham, who is basically, same thing, 
same thing as us. She was doing things the right way. She was saving cash. At one point, she had almost $500,000 in her bank account. What? Yeah, like so her regular bank account? She had $500,000 in her bank account. Wow. Not making much money. It made her feel good. Um, but also at the same time, she started to realize and do the math and carry the one and start to realize that like this type of lifestyle of just working really hard, mm. saving money, putting money into the stock market. Like by the time maybe she's 70, she can, she can enjoy this. Mm. And that's when she decided that things had to change. And nice. um, in this episode, we're going to hear about how long it took her to make that decision. Why did she she decide to make that decision? And since then, you know, over the past, well, excuse me, from the time she got out of residency to when she made her decision, we're talking about 10 years. Mm, yeah. And since then, she's been helping people. She's going to help us really understand how to reach financial independence three times faster, according to her. She's going to talk about how and why it's important to invest wisely and why it's more than just savings. It's more than just stock market investing, mm -hmm. that real estate or just in general ownership of something mm -hmm. and that whatever you own, if someone wants to pay you for that, that's way more important than just putting money into stocks or just right. saving money. It's almost like basketball players or athletes who get paid just for endorsement deals when they really should be trying to get equity into a company mm -hmm. right yeah gotcha. you get a two million dollar deal but if that entire company appraises for a billion dollars what right. we talking about here right. right right so and then the last thing she's going to talk about is how real estate investing blows index fund investing my favorite thing out of the water so <laughs> what she's better but she's, than vti but she's not saying you do one or the other she's just saying listen <laughs> This is an interview with Dr. Parham. She is also a, a, a radiologist. She's a mom. She's a real estate investor, and she also owns Generational Wealth MD. Okay. And she teaches people how to do all these different things. So before we spill the beans, why don't we just get into this episode? What do you think? Cool. And you can get some rest. <laughs> Please. Dr. Parham, welcome to Docs Outside the Box. How are you doing? Welcome. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. Listen, I'm really excited that you reached out and wanted to come on the show uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is your story reminds me of me. Obviously, I'm not at the point that you are at. I'm going to save that for you to let the show listeners know what point you're at. We're not there yet. But um, mainly because me and Renee, we're about 10 years deep. Um, we're doing okay. We got one rental uh, uh, property that we're really proud of, but we want to expand. We want to scale, right? But, you know, after listening to, you know, your podcast and seeing what you're about, you know, it got me thinking about, wow, like maybe we're not scaling fast enough. Maybe we're kind of looking at things the wrong way. So before we get into like where you are right now, tell us where you were at the age of 35 when you finished um, residency. You are now a radiologist. So tell us about like your thoughts on money when you finished and was, you know, practicing as a as a as a radiologist. Yeah, absolutely. So I finished uh, my fellowship at, uh, so I did a fellowship in women's imaging and I was done, I think around the time I was 30. So I started and I thought I was doing everything we were supposed to, right? So I was uh, maximizing my 401, doing the backdoor Roth. I was saving. I mean, not a lot. I mean, I was saving significant. I had significant amount in saving. I was in a high income subspecialty. So um, I had invested in stocks, individual stocks, index funds. So I was just learning all of that. Um, and so you're doing the right things. Okay. Doing the right things, right? And I, I thought, I mean, I thought 10 years from when I started, I would be in a really good place and I would have a lot of options, you know, in terms of how I would practice medicine. Um, 
Um, along the way, I had a mentor who kind of got me um, interested in real estate investing. So I bought a single family home in 2014 after like thinking and procrastinating for three years. I, I ended up getting one. I got another one 2018. Um, so 2019, when I was almost 10 years out of um, fellowship. So, I, these, so these were more like just checking the boxes, but primarily you were making your money as working as a radiologist. Yes, I was trading my time for money. I was working as a radiologist and I, uh, you know, I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to. I got the rental properties and I was looking at the cash flow, which was like a few hundred, like $500 a month. And I looked at it and I was like, so I wasn't looking at it right, right? At that time, this was my understanding. So I said, this is never going to get me to financial freedom. So I think so I prioritized. E so even at that point, you were looking at financial freedom early in your career. Well, I was thinking about retiring, right? So like, I was like, okay, 10 years from now, I should only be practicing medicine the way I want to. So if it was one day a week or two days a week, mm. I, I figured I, I wanted to do that. I always had that in the back of my mind because half my family is from India and I like traveling and I just wanted to have that mobility. So it was always in the back of my mind. It's a long flight. I, it is a long flight. <laughs> Did you know Locum's docs make on average 33% more than employed docs? Got your attention now? So, if you're considering locum tenants, either full-time or on the side, you probably have a question or two, or maybe even 20. Locumstory.com is packed with unbiased information and tools to see what the trends are in your specialty and even make a decision if locums is right for you. My advice? Make locumstory.com the go-to place to learn more about locum tenants. That's locumstory.com. You're going to have to definitely take a week or two weeks off. Otherwise, you're going to have horrible Just jet lag. Just to get over jet lag, yeah. right. And then like anything less than six weeks is almost like, why am I even doing this, right? Right, right. So, so, you, need, so you need time to take away. You want to get away from work. You need to spend time with family. Um, so you're considering, hey, like working every day, how you currently work is something for you after 10 years or something that you did not want to do. So you wanted to be able to travel when you want it when you want work when you want do i get it do i have it correct absolutely yeah gotcha. and i figured i figured being in a high income subspecialty and doing all these things i was going to be at that point but 2019 and and, and you, you hear this about everyone who's a, a fire enthusiast right there's a point there's a pivotal point where something happens and it just makes you rethink everything so 2019 there was this um transition at work um i um there was a merger and i didn't really want to stay back with the same place so i i, I shifted I, I found another position but that transition was really really hard for my family. Um, there was a lot of anxiety. You know, there was a point where I traveled to India because I had a long break and, you know, my kids were back there. I was here. So just a lot of anxiety. And that's what really got me thinking about financial. What's, what's the anxiety that you're talking about? What, what are we talking about? Well, um, you know, uh, I didn't want to leave the comfort of the job that I was in. It was a great job, but everything was was uh, was going to be different. I would probably have to take call. I always had, um, you know, I'm a women's imager, so I wanted a job without not, without night call, without working weekends. Um, I always prioritized my time um, mm -hmm. over money, and uh, there were, I just to get excess vacation, I took like a 15% pay cut because I wanted more weeks of vacation. So with the new, with you know, after the merger, I wouldn't, I, I didn't think I was going to be able to dictate how I was practicing medicine, ah, even with, even within, things change, you know, it, big even time. in the same place. Right. And you think it's going to stay the same, but things can always change, right? It's not in your control when you're working for someone. Um, so, so I, now, so now we're at 2019, you may have to change or you are changing your position. I switched and, jobs. Yeah. And you're switching jobs to something where you're going to have to take more call. 
um, well, not no as- call because I couldn't, that was not negotiable, but I was going from 12 weeks vacation to four weeks vacation. Damn, so that's a big that was, drop. Especially for someone who likes to spend a lot of time, you know, with my family back home in India, I didn't know how that was going to work out. So that was, that was huge. Okay. So at this point you are switching from a job that gives you 12 weeks vacation to four weeks vacation. You have three rental properties at this point. Two. Two rental properties at this point. You're doing okay. Not yeah. like you're not you're not doing great, but you're not doing bad, right? Well, I thought I was doing great, right? You I, thought you was doing great. I thought okay. I was doing great. And, and then I you're had stacking like- and then you're stacking cheese in your 401ks, in your Roth IRAs, in the back door, all those different things that brokerage everybody account, tells you to do. Yeah, individual okay. stocks, index funds, all in my brokerage account, 529, all of that's going. I have like, and I'm almost ashamed to say it, but I'm saying it because it's probably going to help someone else. I had like half a million in my bank account just sitting because I was like, okay, you know what? I, I have savings. And and I just, and that's when, when that transition happened, I started looking at my financial independence numbers, right? So I started reading more about FIRE and I actually figured out what my financial independence number was, and which is, you know, the amount of money you need every year for you to take care of all your basic expenses and your discretionary expenses, right? So vacation, any luxury items, eating out, all of that is factored in and you come up with what you need every year for your fam for, you know for your family's expenses right and when you have that when you when you're making that money passively with passive income then you've hit financial freedom right so that's when i went back and i and i calculated what my financial independence number was and i also looked at how much i'd be able to withdraw from my stock portfolio and how much i was going to have in cash flow from my real estate portfolio to figure out where i actually was and i starting was a- starting at 2019 2019. That's when I started looking at it, right? Because I wasn't actually doing the math before that. So I figured out my financial independence number and then I went to my stock portfolio. And that's when I actually learned about the safe withdrawal rate, which is 4%, which means if you have a stock bond portfolio and not during growth, but when you're retiring or you want to withdraw, withdraw from that and live off of it, you can only withdraw 4% of that portfolio for it to last you 30 to 50 years, which is what you wanted to do if you're considering, you know, depending on that money for your income. So for those who are working out, who are on the treadmill right now and they can't keep notes or they're doing something, they're driving. So everyone, what she's referring to is what's called the Trinity study. Um, we'll put those in the show note, a link to that in the show notes. But basically what she's saying is, is uh, they did the math and basically based off of your number, if you take 4% out of that every year, you should be okay. Uh, with the amount of compounding growth and, you know, what gets replenished afterwards. If you take out 4%, you should be okay up until a certain point that you'll calculate. So, okay. Okay. I'm following you. I'm following you. Yeah. So the Bengen study, the Trinity study, all of them prove that if you want your portfolio to last you for as long as you need it to during retirement, you can only withdraw 4% from it. And so what that translates to is that if you need a hundred thousand dollars, you know, in passive income annually, you need a portfolio that's uh, around two and a half million dollars, right? That's the only way you can withdraw a hundred thousand dollars from that annually. So I looked at my portfolio and I was like, okay, wait, this is not making sense because (laughs) uh, there's no way I have to probably work another 10, 15 years to get to that point if I'm doing this with the stock market. So then I turned to my real estate portfolio, which I really wasn't paying a lot of attention to. And I saw that with a third of the money invested in my real estate portfolio, the cash Cash flow, just the, I mean, well, once I factored in cash flow and equity buildup, was twice as much as I was getting from my stock portfolio. So, oh, you know, so the return you were getting with the third less of an investment into your one real third estate. of the money wasn't wasn't the wasn't real estate compared to the stock market, but I was getting, getting twice as much out of. You guys it. hear that? 
everybody listening. So a third of the amount of money that she had in her stocks was invested in real estate. And you were making how much more compared to your stock market? Two times more. Two times, two times more. more of passive income from that portfolio compared to my okay. stock okay. portfolio. And right. so for me, that was the pivotal moment. That was like, okay, wait, if I want to retire and if I want to be financially independent and not have to be in this position again where somebody else is dictating the terms, um, you know, uh, to the terms in which I practice medicine, then I realized that my focus would have to shift away from the stock market and I would have to focus on aggressively growing my real estate portfolio. Yeah, because you never know. So the next thing may be, okay, well, now it's no longer four weeks. Now we're doing three weeks or two weeks off for your entire year. You just never and that, know. Yeah. And 2020 yeah. was when the pandemic hit, right? And that was like, a, that was like, it was a shift for so many of us. It was a shift for me. I mean, fortunately, I was able to work from home um, two days a week, but I was working from home and raising my three and six-year-old. My six-year-old was now like two and five at that point, but my five-year-old was doing online school from home. So I'm I'm taking care of them. Um, we didn't have a nanny because, you know, with the pandemic, everyone just, you know, everyone had all the, those barriers, right? So our exposure level, so we, we got, we, we didn't have a nanny at that point. And um, I was doing that and working from home. And then there were so many days when the, even the way I was practicing medicine shifted. I was a breast imager and now I was reading primarily X rays. And there were many nights when uh, it was midnight and I was still reading uh, from home and my kids were sleeping in the office because they wouldn't go to bed without me. And that was another uh, another moment, a defining moment where I, you know, I looked and I said, this doesn't make sense anymore. But in the year between 2019 and 2020, I was able to aggressively scale my real estate portfolio just within one year, even though I had a three-year goal and I forexed my portfolio, I 10x the income from it. And I was at the point where I had already hit my financial independence number. So passive income from my portfolio, just the path, just the cash flow was able to meet all of my family's expenses. And so I made the decision to, to, to retire from that full-time position. And all right. So, I, so let's take a pause for a second. So I, I like this because what I'm getting from this is, I don't know if you guys caught, she's saying that she had over almost 500 K in her savings account, which is really impressive. Um, and in a even bad despite way, impressive that, in a bad way, you should never do that. And despite that, though, despite that, right, she still was nervous about not spending enough time with her family. She still was nervous about not being able to see, you know, her nuclear and close family, intermediate family in, in, in India. So it just goes to let you know that, you know, there's so much like money's only going to take you so far. Right. It's that emotional thing um, that I think oftentimes that people don't factor in. Um, that uh, you're talking to. So listen, before we talk, because you mentioned how you're able to 4X this and triple that, I love it. I got you. So once you decided that, you know, housing or real estate was the way to go for you based off of how you were seeing returns with your real estate compared to what you were seeing with your stocks, talk to me. How did you go from two to three? Talk to me how you took that first step. What was the first step that you had in your mind to go from having two rental properties to your third rental property? And then how did you reevaluate and go from there? Talk to me. Yeah, and before I uh, go to that, Nia, I want to say the five hundred thousand in in my bank account. It's essentially giving me less than a one percent return, right? And I wasn't looking at it that way. Um, so if I were to live off of that money, uh, which isn't even meeting inflation, which is at typically around three percent, so I, I would only be able to live off of the money for five years, and I need the money to last me at least fifty years if you're planning, right? Right. So the five hundred. So when anyone's sitting with a lot of money in, in your bank account, the important thing to remember is that when you're thinking how much 
money do I need to hit financial independence? Your financial independence number is fixed, right? That depends on what your expenses are, where you're living. The only thing that's variable is the return of investment of your entire portfolio. And when you have a lot of money sitting in the bank, you're dragging that ROI down because that's giving you, you know, less than, I mean, I think it was like uh, 1% is what I was getting within CDs and stuff at that point. Yeah, that's that, the important but, thing But to is remember. it that number feels good though? Like that number feels oh, like yeah, a big, nice, good. nice pillow that you have, but you don't realize that that pillow is shrinking every night it is. <laughs> when you it go is. to bed and stuff. So, yeah, all right. Your so, buying power is going down. All right. So talk to us. How, how, did, how did, tell me what you did between your second, how did you go from your second or what was the mindset that you had from your second to your third property? So that's when I really started educating myself, right? Because I realized that, you know, like even my second property, I paid for it all cash because I was like, okay, I need cash flow. So I can do that. I can do a better job by just paying for it all cash. And so that's that's not optimizing leverage and leverage is what's going to help you grow. So I started reading more. I started reading um, tax books. I took tax courses, um, courses on creative financing. Um, I listened to lots of podcasts. Um, I, I eventually got a performance coach to help me like, you know, shift my thinking. So I did all of that. And during that time frame, what I was doing is that I started doing you know, you purchase a property and then you rehab the property, you increase the value in, in the property, increase the rents, and then you rent it out. And then you're able to then go in and tap into that money um, and recycle it because you're able to do a cash out refinance, pull that money out. And Slow, and slow down, slow down, Dr. Oh Palmer, slow down, slow down, <laughs> slow down. We got amateurs listening. We got amateurs oh, listening. That is true. I, this well, is how I talk. <laughs> so wait, you, you're saying that you, so you did what's called the burr strategy basically, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. The I was doing is I was optimizing leverage and I was using multiple strategies, tax strategies, and other ways that you're able to recycle your money in real estate, which I think is very unique to real estate because you know you can put money into something and then if you use the right strategies, you're able to pull that money out and then use it to buy another property. Meanwhile, the first property is still giving you infinite returns because you now have no initial investment left in it, but it's still generating cash flow and building equity over time. So you know, I, I so that's okay. So I came from the school of all debt is bad debt, right? And, yeah. you know, after I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it changed my mindset. And then obviously, once we were able to get our first property, we had to, you know, cut that in half. And be like, look, we, we're going to have to take some type of leverage yes. or use some type of loan to get this property. Yeah. But I think I understand what you're saying. So initially, what you would do is you would take a whole chunk of cash, buy a house outright, and then it would cash flow because you weren't paying a mortgage on it. But what she's saying, folks, is that she put all of her money in. Let's just use $100,000. She put $100,000 into the house. She was cash flowing. But what she's saying is maybe she could have done better. Maybe she could have got three or four houses if maybe she borrowed $20,000. And yes, she does have a mortgage and yes, that decreases her cash flow, but she uses the rents and the cash flow to help pay down the rent, but not all of her $100,000 is in one house. And then once you rehabbed it, then it increased the value of the house, right? And then talk to us more. Once you rehab and the increase in the value, then what happens to the house next? Yeah, so that, that's the birth strategy. You buy a house, that's the first B. Then you renovate it, which is the R. And then you refinance the property, which is what you do is once you renovate the property, you're building equity in the property. All of a sudden, suppose you purchase a property for $300,000, you put $50,000 in and you renovate it. Now the property is, um, hope, and if you're doing this right, right, it's hopefully worth $450,000. So you have $100,000 of extra equity in that property. So now you go in and you do a refinance and you pull that money out, which is the third R, I believe. And once you do a refinance and pull the money out, you now have all the cash that you put in, but 
uh, use, because of the appreciation that you were able to increase in it, you can still leave 20% down, which is what the lender needs. So you take all of that money out and then you go ahead and do this again. You rinse and repeat, and you're also able to rent the property at a higher value because it's now a better property than it was before. So the so, property is no longer getting like, you know, slumlord rents. You're, you're getting better rents now. You're getting New York City rents. You're getting San Francisco rents. You're getting good rent. And then you get the cash out that you put in initially and you use that to purchase another piece of property. So that's how you went from two to three. And then I'm assuming you kind of just, you know, exponentially kept, increased from there. Absolutely. So just kept doing that leveraging, um, you know, use leverage to buy multiple properties. I got a short-term rental. That's another strategy where you're using leverage and tax strategies to pull your money out and just keep rinsing and repeating the process over and over again till you get your portfolio to the point where you have that passive income from it that meets your you know that meets your financial independence numbers. So I was reading one of your blog posts and you were talking about you not only did that, but you also made the operations of each property that much more efficient. Talk to us specifically. What are the specific things that you did to make your property, I'm talking about for each individual property, what did you do to make that pro that process or how it got managed more efficient? I'm talking about like toilets, all those different things. Let's get very granular. How'd you do that? Oh my God, yeah. Um, so this is what I believe in. I be it's always like who, not how, right? So I think the most important thing is to have a great team on the ground. And that's what I do even within my coaching program, right? I introduce people to great teams, reliable teams, where when you start off, I always think it's best to like work backwards with teams and goals. You work with, you know, if you work with a great team, they're going to take care of things and they're going to make your life so much easier. And, you know, and with, with short-term, and then there's always software that you can use to automate things, uh, your bookkeeping. You know, I also have a short-term rental and there it's all about automating if you're self-managing it. So you use different, you use software and you use the right teams to help you grow. What, what kind of teams are we talking about? What What's your team consist of? So it's always, well, I prefer it if you have a property, if you have a real estate agent who's also your property manager, and then they have teams on the ground, but your team is also your mentor. It's also your lenders, your insurance brokers, um, you know, your cost segregators, your CPA, your real estate attorney, all of these people are going to help you grow and expand the right way. Right. Okay. So your property manager is the person who's handling, yo, like, why aren't my tenants paying their rents? They're the ones who are going to the house, getting the rents. They're the ones who are getting the answering the phone calls about, yo, my toilet is clogged. Because I think that's probably what makes people who don't get into real estate that much nervous. They're like, look, man, if I'm an orthopedic surgeon, I don't have time in between cases to be handling how, you know, what's happening at the specific property. So you're saying um, to some accord, you have a property manager who kind of handles that for you. They kind of handle a lot of different things for you. So you can kind of focus on, you know, the next property. So yeah. my question there's to so you There's so many different ways of doing it, me. So when okay. I started out, I like to, so a, lot, a, a big chunk of my portfolio is out of state, right? In Houston, Texas, I live in California. And just from a, you know, price to rent uh, ratio point of view, and, you know, just being Texas being more landlord friendly, it made sense for me to grow my portfolio initially um, out of state and Texas. And at that point, I wanted to be completely hands-off and I was probably spending, you know, a few hours um, a month on my portfolio. And that's how I started growing it. But then over time, I shifted strategies. And, and this is what I tell people. There are so many different ways to do it. If you want to be completely hands-off, there's a way to do that. But if you want to, and you know, it's always like more effort, more higher returns, right? Over time, I wanted higher returns from my portfolio. So I started growing my portfolio locally. I have a short-term rental that I self-manage. At that point, I'm putting more time into managing things and I'm self-managing, but I'm also getting the reward because I get higher returns and I'm able to use all those advanced tax strategies to shelter my clinical income from taxes, which at one point really made sense to me. So let's talk about that. So how, how much clinically are you working now? I, right now, I choose to work a, like two to three shifts a month. 
That's what I'm so doing what I'm at this point. I'm talking about Dr. Parnas. That's what I'm talking about. I love it. I love need, it. <laughs> my daughter is three, right? And I was like, mm. I could do this five years from now. You know, I could grow, you know, I could do it five years from now. Or I could do it now when she really needs me. When I mean, right now, my kids, I could literally spend every minute of every day with them and they, they would love that. So I wanted to do it at a time when that was possible for me. So, mm. okay. The reason why I'm asking you these questions is because I think sometimes, so it's, what I'm trying to get clarify with a lot of people is, is that like, you know, the reason why we have folks like you on the show is not to say, okay, like you guys are on a pedestal and the people who are listening can't get to that point. It's oh look, God. you guys, everybody who's listening from even med students who are listening up to attendings, like it, it's a step-by-step process, right? One is better than no step at all. So that's yeah. why I'm asking these very granular questions about, okay, what'd you do go from two to three? And then obviously you just multiplied and where you're at right now. So if you can tell us like, um, and you can let me know if it's rude or not. I'll ask the question. I'll take the hit. Like, how many doors, how many pieces of property do you have at this point in 2021? I have nine doors. And this is uh, this is the way I look at it. Some people look at, okay, so I need 100 doors or I need, um, you know, um, uh, 200 doors. And it's about the doors. For me, it was always about um, the passive income, right? So when I hit my passive income goals, that's what I needed to get to. And then it's the same thing with, with real estate. And this is what I always say. It's not a one size fits all. There are so many different ways of doing it, depending on your resources, your risk appetite, your debt appetite. And I chose to do it this way, but I work with people who prefer to invest in multifamily uh, homes and they and their goal is like $35,000 of passive income a month is what they want to get to. And they have like a goal of like, you know, I want to get to these many doors. But I always say it's important to start off with your financial independence number and then just work backwards to see like, okay, have a five-year goal. And and like you were saying, anybody can do this, right? I think the important thing is to know why you want to do it and then work backwards from that goal. So always figure out your financial independence number and then work backwards and say, how many, um, how many doors do I need to do every year to get to this point? And once you start doing it, I mean, you may break it out linearly and say, okay, I'm going to get three doors, you're one, three doors, year two. But once you start doing it, I almost feel like the growth is going to be exponential. So when I started out with a three-year goal, I was like, okay, I'm going to get three doors each year. Your growth is never like that. It's like you start doing it and you realize you can do it so much faster. I was able to hit those numbers in a year. So this is true for everyone. So just figure out your financial independence number first and then work backwards from that, whatever you need to do, however you need to structure it to get to that goal. So folks, I hope you all are listening. So, you know, I was listening. So there's a podcast that I listen to called Earn Your Leisure. It's one of the top podcasts out there right now. It was a video snippet of when they went to the Breakfast Club, which is a really popular radio show in New York City. And one of the hosts of the show said that he never met someone who was extremely rich and worked more than one job, right? Like, you know, like for me, I grew up in an in a, in a environment where two jobs, three jobs, you try to make things, the ends meet. And then, you know, you kind of carry that, or at least I carry that mindset, even as a physician, like the more jobs I have, I'm going to save my way three times to financial independence. And one of the things that he said is like, he's never seen someone with two jobs or more really be wealthy, right? Like it's, you, yeah. you have to figure out a way to obviously have your primary income coming in, but you got to have a way to have that money kind of like accelerate or exponentially increase in ways that are not related to you having to check in and yes. do that specific job. So yeah. that's the yeah. reason why I really wanted to hear you talk is I was like, yeah, like we all want to be doctors. We all want to help people. It's amazing. It's literally it the is. best job in the world. But I was really interested in in, in your, your mindset before 2019 and then what happened afterwards, right? You're still taking care of patients, but you're just doing it maybe in a different way. And also at the same time, your family's important too. Yes. So 
Really dope. Yeah, absolutely. Really dope. And, you know, I just want to talk about that work more, save more culture, you know, any, because, and I ran these numbers, uh, Nia, I'm just going to give you an example, right? So if someone put $2,000 into their portfolio every month for 20 years, and their portfolio's ROI annually is like 7.5%, they're going to end up at the end of 20 years with a million dollars, okay, uh, at the end of 20 years. Now, if they were to work more, like, you know, work multiple shifts and then save money and, you know, like, get the really cheap car and and do all of that and put four thousand dollars into their into their you know into their portfolio every month for 20 years they're going to hit 2.2 million dollars okay so they're doubling it which is great but here's the important thing so that's at 7.5 percent roi right which is what you're at if you're investing primarily primarily in index funds bonds and you have some money in cash that's probably your average roi now if you were to bump the roi just bump the ROI, double the ROI, and don't double the money you're putting in. So if you put $2,000 a month into a portfolio and your portfolio is generating, um, you, you, the ROI is 15%, You at the end of 20 years, you're at $3.3 million. So why would you work harder and save more if you're not really focusing on asset allocation, which in my opinion is like the biggest determinant of how fast you hit your financial independence numbers, right? And, and that's why I say, I mean, I, I, I mean, I have a million dollar home on a golf course. I, I love fancy cars. I am not going to compromise on all of that. Um, but more importantly, I want to focus on what my return on investment is. What is my asset allocation? And I'm, am I being smart about how I'm investing? Boom. There it is. Guys, you hear that? So just because you're working double, don't forget, that means you're taking double patients. You're more tired. You're not giving your patients everything you need or, or that they need also. So also think about it from a patient care perspective also. You, when you practice, when you want to, you're fresh. You can spend as much time with your as much, as many patients as you want to. But also at the same time, you can get rewarded, by, rewarded for it by doing things the right way. So listen, Dr. Parham, this was amazing. What if there's someone who's listening right now like, yeah, I want to get connected with her. How do they get connected with you? How do they learn about you? How do they, you know, work with you? Um, so I have a community. It's called Generational Wealth MD, um, and it's on, we're on Facebook. Um, there is a blog and a podcast of, of the same name, GenerationalWealthMD.com. There are a lot of free resources on there. Um, so I have a financial independence worksheet, which I really like to introduce people to because you can go on there, you can figure out what your fine number is. Um, it's on um, if you go to the website www.GenerationalWealthMD.com/resources. Uh, um, that's where you can find that. I also do. Uh, I have a a small group coaching program and a one-on-one coaching that I do for people who are really interested in, um, you know, aggressively scaling their real estate portfolio and getting to their goals faster. Um, and, and it just impresses me how much people can achieve within a few weeks once you join this community uh, and, you know, you're in this immersive experience with others. I, I just want to mention like um, we are right now we're three, three and a half weeks into the, the current cohort of creating generational freedom, which is my coaching program and greater than um, 60% of the people in there have already put an offer in on their first short-term rental. Like they just like, you know, on track to meet their 90-day goals. So yeah, so so many different ways to do it. Um, there are the free resources and then there's also the coaching uh, program that's available. Yeah, we love it. We love it. We want to learn more about this. We want to learn how we can increase our ROI um, and not have to work like a slave to get to that point. Dr. Parm, it was a pleasure talking to you. Listen, we're going to put everything that you talked about in the show notes. And uh, listen, everyone, this is where it's at. It's about being a great doctor, taking care of your patients, working hard, but also at the same time, you got to make your money work hard for you also. Y'all hear that? That's it. That's a wrap. What do you think? It was a good uh, good interview. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a really good interview. I think 
Uh, my only thing is I think that she's done this so much that, you know, sometimes she goes a little fast. Yeah, so, yeah. I, so I had to try to slow her down so that the individual, the amateur person can be like, oh, I get what you're saying. But sometimes when you do, we do the same thing too when we talk mm-hmm. about debt. Oh, yeah. All you got to do is put on an Excel document and then you got to find out where all your loans are and then you got to just pay it off. <laughs> and you're like, wait, slow down. Sometimes there's the emotional aspects that you got to get past. Sometimes yeah. you got to even know, okay, what do you put on one side of the Excel sheet versus what do you put on the other side? So that's what I was trying to get her to do and stuff and I think she did a good job yeah and yeah. so forth so what what are, what are yeah. well, your first, takeaways first let me just say that um you know she obviously is a physician like everybody else so the fact that she got to this point and is able to talk about it so fluidly every single audience member should really look at that as a sign that they can do that too but my main takeaway from this was something that you actually didn't talk about but you alluded to the both of you is the importance of budgeting Because remember, she mentioned that she had to figure out what her financial independence number was. And in order to know that, she needed to know what her expenses were. Well, when you're trying to figure out your expenses, that's one half of the budgeting equation. So, you know, that is yet another reason, I think, you know, that people should look into budgeting, really not be afraid of budgeting because it could potentially lead you down the path to figure out what you need in order to be financially independent. Yeah, budgeting, it basically is the foundation for a lot of different things. Yeah, and yeah. And it, it puts in the work that you're going to need to make some like advanced decisions later on. If I could, right. if I could put it in that way, yeah, in that form. exactly. So I get what you're saying. My takeaway is, I got a bunch of takeaways. The biggest takeaway is, is yo, she went from a job that gave her 12 weeks vacation to freaking I four know! weeks vacation. Yo. And I think what I take from that is, is look, the interest that you have, like your interest, what you're interested in, what you want to do is oftentimes not on the same page as the hospital the medical school, the employer, employer, whoever you are affiliated with, whatever they are interested in or whatever their bottom line is, ain't the same as yours for the most part. My jaw dropped when I heard that. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So when I saw that and she had to buy, she had to eat it, right? That's the other thing I want to tell people to know, like all of those years, like all of those years of staying up, like most people go into medical school and they want to be a doctor or you even want to be a professional because you want to be able to call shots, right? You want to be right. a shot caller, right? Right. It's like the 90s with, with, with Puff Dad. You want to be a shot caller, what right? What you want to do, do, right? You want to be a baller, shot caller, yeah. brawler. And, and then when you get to this point, you're like, yeah, you want to be an employee? Yeah, take this paper, <laughs> right? What you want to do? <laughs> want to be an employee? <laughs> it's the truth, right? But it's basically, I the way how I, the best way I could describe this is, is the hospital, the clinic, whoever you're inf- you're affiliated with, they are setting the playground. Mm-hmm. It's their rules. Yeah. And a lot of times you just got to be like, look, in order for me to win this, here, you take your ball, I'm out. I'm going to go play on my own court. I'm going to build up my own basketball court or whatever fo- uh, field that I'm going to do. And I'm going to do it on my own. It may be difficult at first, but I'm going to do it on my own. Yeah, so when she, and scary. So when she was forced to eat that eight weeks of vacation... That's got to be painful. And then don't forget, on top of that, she already took a 15% pay cut just so she could have the freedom to travel. And then on top of this, so... What I got from that is is definitely what I said before, is that the interest of the hospital is definitely not the interest of you. And I think it's really important for people yeah. to look. Take it step by step. You don't have to do everything that she said all right, at the same time. Right. But it's really important, one, to get out of debt. Two, to set up the good behaviors by saving money, by budgeting. Mm-hmm. But if you save your money to an extreme or if you put your eggs in one basket and all you do is just right. put into the stock market, however important that is, I think that you get you are missing out 
on how important it is to have ownership yeah. and how you are rewarded for someone paying you to just take a piece of that or to rent right. a piece of what you own and how you can make the the even the the tax laws work well, for you. Because that's what she mentioned. That's when everything really yeah, took to the next level. Like yeah. She said the total amount of money that she had invested in the stock market, if you took one third of that, which mm-hmm. is in her real estate property, right. a third of that, which is all in her real estate property, was getting two times mm-hmm. the return on investment as her entire stock market portfolio. Right. So if you think about it that way, it's like, her real estate property is just doing way more work than her oh, stock yeah. market. Oh, yeah. I mean, the return on investment, obviously, is just just so much better. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it just, you know, just goes to show that, like I said, if she can do it, anybody can do it. And, you know, I know we've talked on this show before about job security um, and just, you know, being able to work yourself to the bone and, and have that guaranteed paycheck and you know what? Sometimes things change. You know, yeah. the hospital gets bought out. You know, something in the budget changes that year. COVID hits. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, you or have to Or someone really, doesn't like you. Or someone right, just or says, someone, doesn't like someone you. says, why yeah. are you getting a 12 weeks vacation and I'm not getting 12 weeks vacation? So I'm going to bring it down to four. Right. You know, and you screwed. Right. You screwed. Exactly. So you're at the mercy of someone else. The y'all. politics. So, yeah, I know that sometimes you're saying, hey, I, I you know, I like the security of every day coming in. I get a check. Mm, you may want to think about that twice. So, yeah. listen, let's get, let's let's end this. Um, we'll catch you guys on the next episode of Docs Outside the Box, y'all. This is going to be a really uh, busy and good month of April. Yeah. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Peace. Peace. Shout out to Puffy, mid-90s. <laughs>